as you're going to your seats there, go ahead and grab your Bible. If you have one, and if you need one, there's ones on the chairs there in front of you, underneath you. I encourage you to pull those out, because how else will you know if I'm making anything up? I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, sometimes we show up to church and, and we think, I'm just going to take them at his word. And, and, and that's great that you have that kind of trust. But I want you to always be looking in the scriptures for yourself. Is that is that really there? Because one day you might find yourself in a situation where it's just being made up and you're just taking them at their word and you need to be able to know how to look that up and see that's that's what's there. So grab a Bible if you don't have one. If you're using the uh, ones from the chairs there, go to page 1374. Otherwise, it, we're all going to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. What characterizes you? Like if you were to sit there right now and someone were to, were to ask you, sum up what characterizes you in one word. Give me one word that encapsulates all of who you are. What would people say about you if I were to ask your husband or your wife if you're married? Or if I were to ask your kids uh, to sum you up if you're a parent? Or if you're a kid, I ask your parents, sum up your child. What would be that one word that would characterize you most? You see, there, there's probably something that everybody could come up with about ourselves or about, about others. And, and this morning, what I, what I want you to see is that if you belong to God, if you are a child of God, if you have entered into a relationship with God, that one word is love. That one word that should most characterize who you are is love. Because the love of God should most characterize the people of God. And that is what... What Jesus elevated to the top, and what John is going to pick up on this morning. And now, just to, to put some things in your mind at ease. One, love is not that loose, fluffy, necessarily tied to an emotion. It, it does come with emotion, but love does not overlook sin, overlook wrong. That's not love. That's not what John's going to talk about this morning. Love, in fact, he's going to give us the definition as it's been demonstrated. So when I throw up here the love of God should most characterize the people of God, please don't walk away from here and going, oh, so I shouldn't judge people who are living in sin or I shouldn't be aware of that. Or You need to be aware of sin. And if you have a relationship with people, especially if you're in the family of God, then what you need to do is come alongside someone, not judgmentally in a condemning way, but in a loving way and in an accountable way and say, hey, this is not how it goes. Okay, so I want to throw all that out there because, unfortunately, love has just this huge mess that comes with it now. And that's not at all what John's going to mean. But here's, here's what we're going to see this morning. The love of God should most characterize the people of God. Not knowledge about God. That's not what should most characterize the people of God. You need that. And the more that you have, the more love that should flow. Did you hear that? The more knowledge about God you have, the more love for God you should have. Those two should go together. But knowledge about God is not the thing that should most characterize us. It, it, it's love. And so let's take a look at what John's, John's saying. And, and he's going to define that. He's going to say, first, you've got to put your love to action. Love is just not a, a, a sentimental feeling that you can express and say, of course I love all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. John says, no, no, no. See, the way that that is proven is if you put your love to action. Let's take a look. Verse 11. For this is the gospel message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, John has already talked about love in chapter 2. He's already said something similar where he said, hey, if you walk in the light like God is in the light, 
then you're going to love your fellow Christians. But if you walk in darkness, then there's not going to be genuine love for your fellow Christians. So remember, John is trying to help his readers to understand that there's a, there's a way to be able to tell when people show up and start teaching things that are different, that are false, that are leading you astray. He says you need to be able to discern and tell the difference between someone who really belongs to God and someone who doesn't. And furthermore, because that teaching has crept in, there's people in that church that John's writing to who are doubting. Maybe I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe what I thought was true is not true, and I got it wrong. And they start to doubt everything they, they believed, and John's trying to write them to say, no, no, you can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to live in doubt. There's things that, that should be evident in your life if you have a genuine relationship with God. And in chapter 2, John had hit on love. But, but what he focused in on there was that if you don't love your fellow Christian, if you hate them, he says you're walking in darkness. But he never defined what that love looks like. And so now in chapter 3, he's coming back around to that, and he's going to start to put some flesh on those skeleton bones here. He's going to start to fill that out a little bit so that we know what is he talking about when he says love. And so he says, you've heard this from the beginning. It's nothing new. From the time that they heard John start to teach them, from the time they heard the gospel, they've been taught that they should love one another. And maybe you remember this uh, if you were here for that sermon from John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, but th this commandment that John's writing is nothing new. And yet he would describe it as new. You, you might remember this, that Jesus said the same thing back in the gospel of John chapter 13, where he, he was in the, the upper room and he was having dinner with his friends the night before uh, the night he was betrayed, and, and he says, hey, uh, the way that people people will know that you're my disciples, the way that people will know that you're my followers, is by the way you love one another. And, and he had just finished demonstrating for them how to love. Remember, he had taken off his outer garment, he had gotten a towel, and he was washing their dirty, stinky, smelly feet. Right? And, and that was a job reserved for the servant. But here you've got Jesus who did that. And he finishes up the job, puts the towel back around his waist, and says, Now, in the same way that I have loved you, you also must love others. And Jesus had been demonstrating this whole time. Maybe you remember the type of people that were following Jesus. You know, remember Matthew. If you know Matthew, he's also called Levi. He was a tax collector. If you know anything about that time, you know tax collectors. They were considered traitors because here's a Jewish person who's working for the Roman government. He's working for the enemy. And furthermore, what his job is is to take money from his own people. And then what was well known about these tax collectors was the way they made their living. They were very wealthy people oftentimes. The way they made their living was whatever Rome said, there's the tax. And they were free to add whatever they wanted on top of that. And that cut was theirs. They were extortionists. And so the people of, of, of Israel hated tax collectors. They spat on tax collectors. They were the lowest of the low. They had their own category, right? Because sometimes you'll, you'll read in the Gospels and it says Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. Tax collectors were separate from sinners in their mind. They were their own category. And yet Jesus, the type of love he had was, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing now. But I know who you are. And I know what you can do. You see, Jesus didn't get distracted by what's there now. He didn't look at what's going on in Matthew's life now and what Matthew was doing and say, I can't have that kind of person around me because he's going to soil my reputation. 
I, I, can't, I can't hang around with him because I might catch his sin. You can't catch sin. You, 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 hanging around with sinners is not going to make you automatically a sinner. Now, yes, there's truth and there's wisdom that the people you hang around can influence you, but Jesus was not concerned that Matthew's reputation was going to pull down on his reputation. Instead, he looked beyond that and he says, I know who God has made you to be. I know what you've done, but that doesn't stop me from loving you. Matthew, come follow me. Right? And, and he would take people like Peter, James, and John, people who were fishermen, who were, were not educated men. They, they worked with their hands. They, they, just, they worked people that you would think should travel around with the Savior of the world. Right? You would think if you're picking your team that's going to carry on this message, you're going to pick high-capacity people. You're going to pick people who are already successful at what they're doing and they know how to influence people and they have people surrounding them already following. You're going to look for the people who are already leading, but Jesus looks at them and goes, you know that skill that you do with your life right now? How you fish for fish? I want to teach you how to fish for people. I want to teach you how to cast nets so wide for God that then people will be drawn in. See, he looked at what they were doing, and he wasn't, he wasn't distracted by what they were in right then and now. Oh, you're just a fisherman. They kind of stink. I don't, don't know if I want to walk around so and smell like fish all day long. See, that didn't bother him. He says, no, I see, I see who you could be. I see who you are. And he called them. Love, he said, in the same way that I have loved. That's, that's the model. And then ultimately he would show that by going to the cross, brothers. Love that Jesus is talking about is laying down your life. Not, not looking at someone who doesn't match what you think they should look like or think like or smell like or, or they don't have the background that you think they should have or you don't think, man, God can, God can never use a person like that. See, love, love sees beyond that. It's more about the potential in that person. And so John says, hey, you've heard this from the beginning. Love one another. Love one another. And then he gets specific, not like Cain, not like Cain, who was of the, of the evil one and brutally murdered his brother. And, and why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. See, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, that, that story that, that John is talking about goes all the way back to the very first book, Genesis. Where God had created Adam and Eve, the very first people, and he said, go be fruitful and multiply and, and, and rule over the fish and the sea, the birds are there. He gave them their authority. And he says, you, you live in this garden, you can eat from any tree that you want. Any tree. There's tons of them. Just not that one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't eat of that. Because the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And long story short, they ate of it. Now, they didn't physically die that day, but the process of their bodies decaying and death did enter into all of creation. But then sin also entered into the physical creation. Sin is, is that spiritual death now that we all uh, uh, experience and live in until God makes us alive. The very first kids they had were Cain and Abel. One day, Cain and Abel came. Cain was a, a man who worked the ground. He would, he would raise produce from the ground, and Abel was a, a more of a shepherd's guy. He, he had flocks and herds. And one day, they were coming to make an offering before the Lord, and they we're told that Abel brought some of the first of his flock, and then we're told that, that Cain brought some of his produce. And, and God was pleased with Abel, his sacrifice, his offering, but not with Cain. And it infuriated Cain. Uh, he just, he got blinders on. You know how you get when you get jealous? When, when your parent maybe uh, gives more attention to the other kid and, and they're, they're praising them for something they did and all, all you can think is, well, I, I did this too. Or, or maybe maybe here in the church you're looking at people and you're saying, man, I wish I could have their, 
their life, and, and I wish I could have their success or whatever, and all you can see is people it, 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 it just praising that person because of what they did, and all you can think is, what, what I did this? Now, you know how you get when you get blinders. That's what Cain was. He was just impurity. Maybe he entered in that fog that we get when we get jealous, when we get envious, when we can't think straight. Anyway, he killed his brother. John tells us why. John tells us, he says, he killed him because his deeds were evil. Cain's deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. See, John just makes it real simple. He, he, Cain was of the evil one and, and Abel was righteous. And anywhere you go, evil will be opposed to righteous. It, it's just never going to change. Evil will always oppose righteous. And he says, but you're not to love like Cain did. See, Cain, that wasn't a good example of love. You see, what, what Cain was demonstrating was jealousy in the family. Envy. I want what you have, and I don't have it. In fact, the, the book of James would, would get into this, and he says, why do you have fights and quarrels among you? Is it not because you look and you see that someone has, and you don't have, and so you fight to get it? I mean, I mean John's just boiling down to the nitty-gritty, and we all deal with this. I want what you have. I want the success. I want the money. I want the position. I want the husband that you have. I want the wife that you have. I want the kids that you have. I, I want whatever it is that you want. And you get so blind and so set on that, that I don't have it. And if that's left unchecked, it leads to hatred, resentment. And when you push that to its extreme, it comes to murder. And that's where Cain was. And John says, you, you've heard from the beginning, love one another, but not like Cain. That's not a good example, he says. That, that's evil opposed to righteousness. He was unrighteous. He was evil. We go on in verse 13. Therefore, do not be surprised, he says, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. In other words, evil has always hated righteousness. So don't be surprised if you're hated by the world. Now, remember, John has told us what the world is. Now, you have to use your context because in a little while, he's going to use it in a different way. But a lot of times when John uses the word world, especially as he does here, he's talking about that way of operating, that way of living, that way of thinking, that code of ethics that is sourced and influenced by Satan himself. It's a counterfeit to the things of God. So when John uses the word world, a lot of times he's saying it's that system of operating that is opposed to God. And so when he says it here, therefore do not be surprised brothers and sisters. In other words, you're in the family of God. You have a relationship with God. Don't be surprised then if the world hates you. Why? Because just like Cain and Abel, Cain, whose deeds were unrighteous and evil, evil always opposes that which is good. And so, pull back for a minute because what John is trying to do is assure his readers, you do have a relationship with God because of what John knows about them. He's trying to reassure them, don't be pulled astray by what you're hearing. You do know the truth. You do know God. One of the ways he says you know that is because don't be surprised if the world hates you. Evil has always hated good. That's not your example on how to love. Verse 14, we know that we have crossed over from death to life because we love our fellow Christians. So John does something here that he's been doing several times already. He's not saying, hey, the way to become a child of God, the way to enter into a relationship with God is to love fellow Christians. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the reverse. If someone loves their fellow Christian, it's evidence that they're a child of God. You see, he's, he's, he's saying all throughout this book, here's how you can know that you have life. Here's how you can know that you belong to God. There's things that should be showing up in your life. If God has made you alive and His Spirit lives in you, these things should be coming out. 
and you should be loving your fellow Christians. So if someone shows up and they, they're, they're, they're claiming to know God, but then they don't show love for their fellow Christians or people in the family of God, he's saying, that doesn't match up. That person likely doesn't have a relationship with God. He says, here's how we know. Here's how we can know that we have a relationship with God. And the way he describes that relationship is you've crossed from death to life. And he's just picking up on Jesus' words. This is something that, that Jesus, we see him saying, again, John's Gospel, chapter 5. Jesus said the very same thing, that you, you pass from death to life when you believe in him. Because the, 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 the reality is that every person exists, is born into a condition, a state of spiritual death before God. We're not born innocent. We're not born uh, um, uh, uh, just pure and white. We're already born guilty of sin and tainted by sin because of what Adam did. It's been passed on from generation to generation to generation. So from the moment you're born, even really from the moment you're conceived, you are tainted by sin. And you were born into a condition of spiritual death. It doesn't mean that, that we can't do anything good. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, treat people well or do good things or, you know, do, do things like that. It means, though, it means that before God, we have nothing to offer that will win us favor with Him. It means that nothing about us, who we are, or what we can do will earn us a spot in God's family. There's nothing that, that we can do, and, and we may look all day long and say, I'm better than that person. I'm not as bad as him. I mean, I know I've made some mistakes, but I'm not that far off, so surely God will take me. And it doesn't matter. Because before God, every person, whoever has been born since Adam and Eve, stands in the same spot except Jesus. They stand in the same spot before God. Guilty of sin. And even if you disagree with that and you're not ready to accept that, even though that you can find that in the Bible, but even if you're not ready to accept that, here's, here's the other thing. It only takes one sin, one spot to disqualify you from being accepted by God, to, to, to being brought into His family. It just takes one violation of His standard, one speck of darkness in your life. So did you lie to your parents when you were a kid? Disqualify. Did, did you throw a fit because you didn't get what you want? That's enough. Some adults do that, right? It, it, it's just enough. That's all it takes. That's why Paul would say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what John is talking about is, hey, we all exist in this spot of spiritual death. In other words, we need to go from death to life. And he says, the way you cross from death to life is through Christ. And if you've crossed from death to life, you're going to love your fellow Christians. And so the way you know, do I have that life that God offers me? Do I have that relationship with God? Well, how am I doing loving people in the church? How am I doing loving people in the family of God? The one who does not love remains in death. You see, John's very black and white. And I know, I know we don't like that. A lot of you, maybe some of you do, but a lot of you are like, no, but what about this situation? John's not concerned about that. Remember, John's going after people who are attacking the church and who are dividing the church. He says, here's how, here's how it is. You're, you're one group or the other. Last week we saw you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. This week, you either love your Christians and you've crossed from death to life or you're still in death. Okay? But you don't love Christians, fellow Christians, in order to get that life. But you may be thinking, okay, well, I, I, love, I love I love, my fellow Christians. Of course I love I love the family of God. And, you know, you're, maybe you're starting to think, okay, good, I, I'm all right, I, I know, I know I, I feel love for people. And John's going to go beyond that. Look at verse 15. 
Everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. Where is he pulling that from? Cain. Cain. Just like Cain, he says, if you hate your Christian, hate is equal to murder. Jesus would have said something similar in Matthew chapter 5. He says, hey, you've heard it said that, uh, that you, should not, um, you, know, you should not be angry with a person. I mean, uh, you should not murder a person. But I tell you, even if you have anger in your heart towards another person, you're guilty of murder. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know murder is much worse than angering, uh, being angry at someone. And I know if you're angry at someone, it's better to stay angry at them than to follow through and kill them. I, I get that, but that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is before God, it doesn't matter. Because the very same root that takes, that, the very same seed that takes root in your heart when you're angry towards someone is the very same thing that ultimately causes and leads to murder. And before God, that same seed is there. Sin. And so, even if you're angry, you're guilty of being a murderer before God. It, it, it makes no difference. He says, those who hate fellow Christians are murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. Verse 16, we have come to know love by this. And here's where he defines it. That Jesus laid down his life for us. Here's how we know what it looks like to love your fellow Christians. Not like Cain, who took a life, but like Jesus, who gave his life. You see, love, the love of God, is not taking from people. It's not zapping people of what they have. It's not using people for what they have. It's not taking a life from them. Instead, it's giving your own for them. You see, that's a completely different paradigm shift because a lot of times we're saying, well, I'll love you if you love me back. That's how maybe it plays out in the marriage sometimes. Well, I'll be nice to you, you'd be nice to me. I'm guilty of that. We all are. Right? But that's, that's how we tend to love. If you love me, I'll love you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Love initiates. Love goes first and takes this first step. Love says, even if you're not loving me, I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to give myself for you. I'm going to lay down my preferences for you. I'm going to give you what you want, or I'm going to do what you want. That's what love is. That's how Jesus demonstrated for us. And he says, thus we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. That's what it looks like to love. Not just an idea of it. Oh, yeah, of course, I love all the believers. No, John says, no, you've got to lay down your life. Verse 17, but whoever has the world's possessions and sees his fellow Christian in need and shuts off his compassion against them, how can the love of God reside in such a person? John, you've gone too far. That, that just hurts, John. I mean, I was good with give my life. I can get that because I can lay down preferences, John. I can, I can choose to do something that I don't want for an hour on a Saturday, you know, because it, it's the loving thing to do, John. I get that. John goes, no, 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 no. Here's where it really meets. If you have something, money, resources, clothes, food, whatever, if you have the possessions of this world, physical world, you have the possessions of this world, and you have a fellow Christian, a brother or sister in need, and you don't do something about that, how can God's love be in you? How can God's love be in you? Because God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus, by giving what he had. He didn't withhold what he had. He didn't say, hey guys, you're in a really bad spot. I hope you figure something out. I'll pray for you. Prayer's good. But John says, if you have the ability, the resources, to meet your brother or your sister in Christ's need, and you don't, how can God's love be in you? 
So you've got to put action to your love. Genuine love, God's love, demonstrates itself in action. It's not just an idea or a feeling. It's that feeling, that affection, that moves us to action. But then you send them, hey, you can be assured by your love. You can, you can be assured if this is playing out in your life. So let's look at this. Verse 18. Little children, he says, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And by this we will know. By what? By loving in word and in a- not just in word and tongue, but in action, he says. And it's by that. So if you love and you're putting your love to action, verse 19, this we know. We are the truth and we'll convince our conscience. See, because here's what happens. So we're walking before God. We're living our lives before God. And we're going, man, I'm not sure I really have that relationship with God. I'm very aware of the sin that lurks in my life. And and how could God accept someone like me? And, and, And John's dealing with that kind of doubt. And he's saying, hey, if this is going on in your life, if this is going on in your life, if you've trusted in Jesus and you see this going on in your life, you're loving your brothers and your sisters and you're, you're meeting their needs and you're putting your love to action, then let that be an assurance to you that God's love is having His way in you. Let that, let that put your conscience at ease. And so verse 19, we will know that we are of the truth and convince our conscience because sometimes our conscience is going to judge us guilty and we struggle with that. And when our conscience is weighing on us, we say, but how could God love someone like me? Or maybe you're thinking, well, I don't do a really good job at meeting people's needs. Or even when I do meet their needs, sometimes I, think, I feel like because of how bad I am or how, how aware of my sin I am, that it's not enough. And John says, hey, when your conscience is bugging you like that? Now, understand, there's times where your conscience is bugging you for a very good reason, right? I mean, there's times where, and you know it, because you hide from it, and you try to drown it, but John says there's other times where that may just be the enemy. That may be the one, uh, the the one who's opposed to God, by trying to whisper in your ear and accuse you, you see, because you didn't do enough. How could God love someone like you? You didn't do enough. Look at that person over there. Look how much they're doing. Now that person, maybe that person God thinks of, but you, look how little you've done. You've been so consumed with, with everything else. How could you? And John says, if your conscience is bothering you, hey, you need to, to, to convince it by your actions in loving the believers. Verse 20, that if our conscience condemns us, you need to know this, that God is greater than your conscience and he knows all things. In other words, God knows what's in here. And that's a good and a bad thing for you and me. He, he knows what's in here, and if our conscience is, is condemning us, and we have that relationship with God, but we're struggling with doubt, and we're, we're, we're trying, you know, man, we, we wanted to meet the needs, but maybe we missed the opportunity. But God goes, I know your heart. I saw it. God, God's greater than our conscience. So if your conscience is condemning, sometimes what it takes is reminding ourselves of what's true. Sometimes it takes, hey, uh, I, I need to remind myself that God is greater than my conscience. I need to remind myself that hey, I've got that relationship with God because I trusted in Christ. This is why, by the way, we do baptisms. It's a public profession, but also you as the believer, me as a believer, if I've been baptized, I look back to that day and I remind myself, I did that because I trusted in Christ. I did that because God gave me life. And that's what that was. Our baptisms, and every time you see a baptism up here, it should remind you of your baptism. It should be an opportunity for you and me to look back and to say, thank you, God. Or if I'm struggling with doubt, I did that. Now, understand, we live in a day and culture where baptisms, people are baptized left and right, and ultimately we can't know if they're a genuine believer or not. But one of the things that John's trying to get at is, hey, there are things that show up in a person's life consistently that characterize them, that if they're there 
and you trusted in Christ, but maybe you're just struggling with doubt, these are the types of things that can reassure you. But what he's not saying to you is if you've never trusted in Christ and you've been on the outskirts, that these are a substitute. They're not. They're, they're not a substitute for, for a relationship with God. They are the substance of a relationship with God. And you can convince your conscience. So you struggle with doubt? How about you start giving yourself away a little bit and see if that, if that helps. Verse 21, dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, we have confidence in the presence of God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing to Him. There are so many believers who are paralyzed by guilt. Paralyzed by their, their, their guilty conscience because I'm not good enough. And here's what we do when we're paralyzed. Remember, John started out this way. He told us to walk in the light. But instead, what we do, as people are in a relationship with God, when we, we're guilty, when we when we messed up and we sinned, and John says, hey, you will sin. He, he knows that happens, but here's what we do. We kind of shrink back. Kind of shrink back. And, 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 I, and I'm not confident before God. And, and, I, and I don't feel like I can go into the light where God's presence is because I feel like I'm shameful. I'm dirty. I'm, I'm unclean. And, and yes, sin makes you feel that way. But God's still saying to us, no, 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 I know that. I already know. And, and remember what John said in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Hey, the goal is that you don't sin. Right? John's never going to say it's okay to go on and sin. The goal is that you don't sin. But if you do, and we do, you have an advocate. You have someone who's coming alongside, who's pleading your case before the Father and saying, no, he's mine. She's mine. And he said, because of that, instead of shrinking back in darkness, which is what we do naturally, we say, no, I don't want to go close to God because I can't bear to be in His presence when I feel such guilt. So we shrink back in the darkness. Instead, God would call us to the light where we would be exposed in who we are. And that's where we receive the grace and the forgiveness that He's already offered to us through Christ. But you and I, we take this and we say, no, I'm going I'm to shrink back in darkness until I feel better about myself. I'm going to give a little time, let that, that guilt of that sin kind of wear away. And then I'll kind of come back almost like God might have forgotten about it. Right? And then, and then, then we say, or, or I'm going to go do some things and, and I'm going to start reading my Bible. And that's a good thing, by the way. Start reading your Bible. But if your motive is so that I can kind of make up for what I just did. Or I'm going to start going to church now and, and maybe after two or three times, then I'll start praying to God. And we don't think God that, that, that we should go and pray to God. And what John is saying is, hey, if you've got a conscience that's condemning you, you're not going to be confident before God and God's presence. And if you're not confident before God in His presence, then you're not going to have that assurance that you have that relationship with Him. But if you're a child of God, you should be able to go in God's presence confidently because the writer of Hebrews would say, we should go to the throne of grace with confidence and boldness, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is and what He's done. And we have that access now. And John's saying, you've got to be able to come into the confident presence of God, not because of who you are. So stop dwelling on what you did to mess things up. Walk in the light, confess your sin, tell your conscience to be quiet because God is greater than that, and then be in His presence and know His forgiveness and know the joy that comes with being in a relationship with Him. He says, we, whatever we ask when we come into His presence with confidence, we know that He's going to answer that. We have confidence that God will answer our prayers when we are assured of our relationship. But if we are not assured of our relationship, we're just living in doubt. And doubt's defeating us and calling, causing us to be discouraged and maybe even leading us to disobedience. We're not praying. And if we are praying, we're not praying with confidence. And we're not believing God's going to answer our prayers. John says, no, no, you want that confidence that you can come into God's presence. And when you pray, that he's going to answer the prayers that you pray. And we have this confidence, he says, because we keep his commandments. 
than we do what's pleasing to him. Now John needs to clarify. What does he mean when he says keep his commandments? John's not telling us to go back and live under the Old Testament. John's not saying, I'm sorry, I hope you had your last shrimp dinner last night because you can't eat anymore. That's not what John's saying. He's not saying that, that you have to live your life under the Old Testament law. See, John's going to tell us what he means by commandments. Now, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, uh, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he gave us the commandment. Now, I thought, John, you said this is the commandment, right? Singular, one commandment. But you just said, believe in Jesus and love one another. That's two. See, now, John's breaking one commandment into two parts. You believe in Jesus, and as a result of believing in Jesus, you love one another. Loving one another is indicative. It's, it's evidence that you've believed in Jesus. If you keep God's commandment, what John is saying is you believe in Jesus, and as a result, you love one another. That's the commandment, that you believe in Jesus and you love one another. How do I get from death to life, John? Believe in Jesus. And the way that you'll know if that took is that you're loving one another. Consistently, over time, you're characterized by that. Just as he gave us the commandment. Verse 24, and the person who keeps his commandment resides in God and God in him. How, how do I know that God lives in me? How do I know that I have that relationship with God? Keep his commandment. What's his commandment, John? Believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another. You cannot separate the two. You, you cannot say, I believe in Jesus and not love one another. It just doesn't happen. If you believe in Jesus, it will overflow in love for one another. If you're not loving your fellow Christians, John says, maybe you need to go back to square one. Did you really believe? Are you sure you got that right or were you just caught up in the moment? Or were you going up because your friend went up? Were, were you raising your hand because it just your emotions were flying and you were tired at the end of the week at camp and you're, you're just already an emotional teenager anyway and then, then you just decided, I've got to do this? Maybe you need to go back. Maybe you need to go back and check that. Because the love of God should most characterize the people of God. That's how John sums it up. What most characterizes you? What, one word, if you were to describe, describe yourself or ask the person closest to you, would they say, you love people and you love them? Now, there are so many of you here and in the next service who do this so well at this church. I mean, they're, they're, this, this is a church that is so generous. This is a church who, if there's a need, it's met. If we put something out and we say, hey, this person has a need or we're aware of this need, we've got people responding. I want to meet that need. I, I can do that. Or, or we've, got, we've got needs that, that come up and we have a benevolence fund because people are faithful to give. You are faithful to give. And part of that benevolence fund is not only to help in the community, but, man, if somebody has a need inside the church, we're able to meet that. And we do every year, more and more and more. This church does so well at that. Some of you really get this. And so maybe this morning, some of you, maybe you're in a spot where maybe you dealt with a little doubt. And maybe you just need to remind yourself, and let's just do a little check. Am I loving people well? When, when, when I'm aware of needs and, and my brothers and my sisters in Christ's life, do I, do I meet them? Am I, am I willing? Do I step up? Or do I backtrack and say, you've got yourself into that mess? Or, or I'm not going to help you because I still am trying to get what they have. When I get what they have, then I'll help you. Are you like Cain? Are you like Jesus? That's how John put it. Don't love like Cain. That's not your model. Jesus is your model. 
Don't take life from people. Give life to people. Some of you do this really well. Others of you this morning, maybe maybe you need to take some time. And Jeff, you go ahead and come on up here. And uh, uh, we're going to pray here in just a moment. And we're going to reflect on this. And so maybe maybe you need to just take a moment. And while Jeff plays, uh, he, maybe you just need to think, what's that one person? Just this week. What's, is there one person in the family of God who, who calls himself a Christian that I just have a hard time loving? Is there that one person who, who maybe I'm aware of some needs and I just refuse to meet those? Maybe during this time you just need to ask God, God, show me that person. And just commit to pray for him this week. I'm not asking for, you know, the rest of your life. Just pray for him this week. Just that one person. And then as you're praying for them, God, if they have a need that I can meet, that you've prepared me to meet, give me the opportunity to do it. That's it. That's all I'm asking you to do. That's, that's the challenge. Pray for that one. Just pick one. Most of you probably already comes to mind. Pray for them. And part of your prayer this week, God, help me to love them. And show me how I can meet that need this week. If there's one. And be open to what God wants to do with you. And then others of you this morning, maybe, maybe you need to go back and listen to what John says in verse 14. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe it's the, the first time. Maybe it's, it's been a while, but... Have I crossed from death to life? Maybe that's that's the, that's where you need to deal with God's word. And God knows who you are. Remember, Jesus said, love like I have loved you. God's not surprised about who you are. He, he's not caught off guard by the decisions he's made. He's not looking at your life going, you're a little bit too messed up for me. We, we don't allow your type on my team. No, see, you're probably exactly who God wants on your team. Why? Because Paul, the apostle, would stand up before a church and write a letter, and he would say, I... I am the worst of sinners. He had a past. He had a past of, of hating and, and, and persecuting Christians. And he would stand up, and yet he was one of the people that God used the most, wrote most of our New Testament books, and yet he would say, I am the worst of sinners. But this is a true statement. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul would explain that God in my life how messed up it was. I become an example of God's glory. That there's no one beyond God's reach. It's not for, for you to boast. You I mean there's never a day where you go, I was so bad and now I'm in the family of God and there's some somehow some pride in that for you. No. It's how great is our God. We're saying it, right? How great is our God. And sometimes we sing that and we're just thinking about his vastness and his bigness in the sky and the stars. And that's great and stuff. But how great is our God? And we sing Hosanna. Save us. Why is that such a big deal? Because it's impossible for us to save ourselves. It's impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. And so this morning, if you're thinking it's impossible for God to do anything with me and through me, my story's over. God's saying, you know, your story's not never begun. Let's, let's, let's open that book in page one. Cross over from death to life. By believing in the Son, Jesus Christ. He came, He died in the place of us so that we would not have to take the penalty that we earned. He took it for us so that when He died and He rose from the dead, He rises to a new type of spiritual life that He is now able to give to us. And God does that to us. Makes us alive. So maybe that's what you need to do this morning during during this time. So Jeff, why don't you sing for us, sing over us and we'll be with God there.
that we're listening. And we want to hear what you have to say to us this morning. So let your spirit speak to each person where they're at. Meet them at their deepest point of need this morning. Speak to them things that would confirm to them that it is indeed you, God, speaking. How else could anyone know that? How else could anyone know what I'm feeling, what I'm dealing with, who I struggle with to love? And yet, this morning, God, you're bringing that up to the surface to say it's time to move on. It's time to go to the next level. So God, speak to us where we're at. We thank you that we can have a relationship with you because of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, uh, in this moment, we're dismissed. And maybe you want some prayer this morning. Maybe there's something that God's stirring up in you that you say, I need to, I need to pray with someone about this. So right after the service, there'll be a few people right back here by that lamp. Uh, and they'll be there available for you if you want to pray. And so if you're someone who's going to be available to pray as soon as we dismiss, just make your way back there for a few minutes and be, be there. And walk up to them and say, hey, I'd like prayer on this. Would you please pray with me? Or, hey, I'd like to know more about trusting in Christ. I want to know more about the, 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 the crossing from death to life. Or, hey, I just did that. What next? What now? They'd love to visit with you, love to pray with you, and I'll be right after the service. Okay? If you're able, please stand. We'll dismiss. There's a lot of things that vie for our attention, for our lives, but God wants us to be characterized by one thing the most, love. So go out from here and love. Show it, demonstrate it, because you know it. Do it in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week.